Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Ravi Mater, the host of Diva Strategies for Success, and also the NAFI Western and Mid-Atlantic Regional Coordinator. NAFI is the largest global network for women and is 40 years old. Check out my website at www.ravimater.com and my NAFI Western Region site, which is www.wrnafi.com, and the national site, which is www.nafi.com. And that's NAFE. I am so thrilled to be the host of this show as each Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I get to bring you dynamic guests and topics. And I am also thrilled to say that uh, in the last three days, I've been able to book my show through October 2014 with exciting guests and exciting topics. So be sure to stay tuned in, and if you can't listen to us live, just know that we're always archived, so you can listen at your convenience. In the last year, I've had 59,740 people tune into my show, so that, that's exciting as well. Today, I'm very thrilled. All the way from New Mexico, my guest is Dr. Beth Generis. Let me tell you a little about about her before I bring her on the show. Dr. Beth Generis holds three graduate degrees in business, counseling, and oriental medicine. She has spent 20 years as, psycho, as a psychotherapist, over 14 years as a strategic management consultant, and eight years as an acupuncturist. Her vast and impressive education includes acupuncture, oriental medicine, Jungian theory, cognitive behavioral theory, gestalt theory, Jeffrey Yen, uh, Jeffrey Yun, five-element theory, energy rebalancing, and life coaching. She specializes in East-West mind-body-spirit integrated training to offer solutions-oriented life coaching, parenting skills, relationship development, and mindfulness techniques. This allows Dr. Beth Generis to bring a unique blend of complementary methodologies and techniques into her practice with clients and her writings. She is devoted to providing supportive, solution-focused teaching that allow people to live a more harmonious and happy life. And boy, do we need that in today's world. She is also the author of Turning No to On, The Art of Parenting and Mindfulness, and Turning Me to We, The Art of Parenting with Mindfulness. And she has a fabulous website, so I'd like you to take time to check it out. It's www.beth. Generis, and that's G-I-N-E-R-I-S dot com. And I also noticed when I reviewed the site that she does classes and seminars. Welcome, Dr. Generis. I'm so happy to have you on my show today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Your book is called Turning Me to We, and it's so beautiful, The Art of Parenting with Mindfulness. What do you mean by turning me to we? So when you think about partnering, if people are really narcissistic in their relationship, they're much more of a me, kind of me, 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 focused on themselves, coming to relationship from a fear-based concept or even a competitive state. Um, I'm advocating that our relationships are much more we-focused, which is collaborative and connecting, because I feel that if we do a better job of seeing how we agree and where we agree and what we agree on, we can actually build much more powerful, positive relationships and powerful for both parties or if it's a group partnership, powerful for all parties. So my concept is that we want to move from me 
through I to we so that we're all working together toward the same goals. Wow, I like that. What is mindfulness, and how does it assist us in creating successful relationships? Well, mindfulness was originally developed, I mean, when we first think of mindfulness, we think of it from a Buddhist concept of mindfulness. This is where somebody sits quietly and they're trying to overcome the self is the way in which the Buddhist considers it. But even in psychology, there were many, many theorists that spoke about mindfulness. They just didn't use that term. What they talked about was trying to be... um, more compassionate, looking at a situation from the other person's point of view, paradigm shifting, and being mindful in how we respond. So rather than being reactive and getting into some sort of habit reaction patterning, we're going to increase our interest in the other person's point of view and understand it fully and then also share our own point of view and see where these two points of view can take us and understand each other better. So mindfulness is looking at things from a much more holistic perspective. Wow, that makes sense. You write that it's important to look at our own personal development first. What is this? So part of this has to do with the fact that a lot of my writings center around how we develop as human beings. And so how we choose to partner in the world, how we choose to do relationship has to do with several things. It has to do with our location in time, which is kind of a sociological phrase, and I'll explain that. Sociology itself, which has to do with which groups we connect to, which ones have transmitted to us what matters, and also our temperament. And so our location in time indicates when we're being uh, first developing our skills in relationship and deciding who we are as people, it's in the early parts of our life, so 0 through 18, Mm. you know, years of life, actually all the way through 24. So the first 12 years we work through the Eric Erickson psychosocial stages. And then um, in the next uh, 12 years, we get an opportunity, so that would be 13 through 24, we get an opportunity to really do it all over again. And so how we resolve those psychosocial stages, how we develop a sense of trust, how we feel powerful in the world, how we do that applies to what we choose to do in relationships. And so that's, if you're being raised in the 50s, what is seen as okay in the culture is very different than if you were raised in the 90s or in the millennium. And so that is how the location and time affects who we are. And then there's also this issue of temperament. Some people are easygoing, some are willful and strong-willed. These differences in temperament always also affect how we do relationships. So if we look at ourselves first and understand what matters to us, what are the groups, what kind of information was transmitted to us from our different cultures, um, then we have a better understanding of what we're looking for and we have an idea about what we want to do in partnership. So that's why we oh, look at ourselves first. Yeah, I think that that is great. That's great advice. How do people become locked into ineffective thought and communication patterns? Well, so this is an interesting question. What happens is it would be great if all of us went through those psychosocial stages 
easily. And we never had any injuries in childhood. Nobody died. Nothing bad happened to us, and everything just perfectly went along. Then we wouldn't get locked into an ineffective style of relating. But that isn't really how it goes. Life happens, and then we respond to life. And if some things happen to us in our early development that cause us to respond in ways that help in that moment but get solidified as the only way to see relationship, then we get caught in these ineffective ways of thinking, ineffective styles of relating. So an example would be I go out with a partner and this uh, I'm interested in dating somebody and that boy likes me and he treats me nice, and then all of a sudden he doesn't treat me nice and he hurts me. Well, then I develop a way of managing that. Now, I, if I go about life thinking every relationship is going to be that way, I've now solidified this one style of relating and one style of thinking about relationship. And so, of course, that's not the case, right? We have to learn how to be mindful in our relationships and see what another person is looking for, what we're looking for, See if we match, and if we don't match, lovingly move on to someone else. Yeah, I believe I, I always when something isn't going right, I always say, "Okay, what am I supposed to learn from this?" You know, and there's always a learning. You know, I believe. Oh, that's uh, a you beautiful recommend, way to think about it. Yeah, you rec- recommend bringing awareness of changes that arise with certain words or phrases. Why is this important? Well, one of the things that um, happens in a uh, long-standing relationship is there's something that is like, um, let's see, what would you call it? It would be like a trigger. So let's say you have a conflict and people try to start resolving that conflict, but they don't get all the way through. So they have unresolved conflict. And they have the same conflict over and over, but it doesn't ever get resolved. So then what will happen is, one party or the other will hear a word which will trigger back to that unresolved conflict. And when they do, uh, they are being triggered. They they aren't actually responding in now time, in the present moment. They're responding in history. And so when we start to learn if words have charge to them or trigger, trigger to them and we understand that, then we have the freedom to choose to act differently in the now than we acted in the past. We can even say, when you use that word, I feel like this. Maybe something happened when they were young. Perhaps their father or mother were hard on them, and they used a word that was really derogatory in their meaning. And now every time they hear that word, they start to feel as if they are being hurt. And so it's an idea of recognizing that we sometimes put our own meaning to words that aren't necessarily the words you might find in a dictionary, like the meaning in a dictionary. Hmm. In what ways can we begin shifting our perspective to enhance communications? So one of the ways is what we've just been talking about in terms of these words. Let's say um, we recognize that indeed when somebody uses that word, we immediately have a difference in how we respond to them. Something changes in our body. Maybe we have a we have a bad feeling, or 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 we tighten up, and we notice that. Then we can start to communicate about that. I'm feeling this way. Is that what you're intending to say? Or maybe we hear somebody respond negatively and we're not intending something negative. Then we might say something like, what did you hear me say? By doing this, we're shifting our perspective. We're looking at 
the other person's perspective. Now, one of the ways I talk about this is something called paradigm shifting. And I sometimes put on the board, when I'm talking about it in classrooms, a picture that looks, when you're facing to the right, like a bunny. But if you look at it facing to the left, it looks like a duck. Now, the person who only sees the duck is stuck in a very specific paradigm. And the person who only sees the bunny is stuck in a specific paradigm. And if those two people happen to be in a relationship with each other, and that paradigm has to do with something they're relating to each other on, then what happens is they have this argument where they're each arguing from their personal perspective without seeing the other person's perspective. So when we're willing to shift perspective in our communication, we ask what the other person sees, we try to understand the other person's point of view, while still trying to explain our own, that flexibility in moving between those two paradigms will increase positive communication and an opportunity for an even more empowered partnership. Do you ever find that sometimes when these words or phrases come up, people don't really realize that they popped up or it just it's there and they don't, you know, it, it brings back, you know, not great thoughts, but all of a sudden they're there and then they, they it, it confuses them sometimes. Yes, I do find that. And in fact, one of the things I work with people on is trying to pay attention when their body changes, when any of their senses change. You know, they feel tight, they feel angry all of a sudden, they have a reaction. I try to encourage them to pay attention. And that takes time to learn how to increase your attention to what's happening in your body or what you hear happening with your partner or what you see happening. And as you increase your attention to it, and you clarify your intention, then you have an opportunity to start to work those things out. Sometimes you still make it all the way through a fight, but you learn earlier in the after-fight time, and then sooner and sooner you get it closer and closer to actually catching how you're reacting and dealing with it in the present moment. Oh, that's good. What is meant by interdependent relationships? Uh, interdependent relationships relations, and how does it shift interactions? Okay, so um, in, one of the things I talk about in this book, so I, you know, I called it Turning Me to We, The Art of Partnering with Mindfulness. And so I was talking about this me style of relating and an I style of relating and a we style of relating. I connected those simple letters to um, dependent style, independent style, and interdependent style so that a me style of relating is a dependent style of relating because the me is the focus, but it's me as in I need you to take care of me. So it's more codependent or dependent. Children have a me style of relating. Um, some adults who haven't worked through certain issues um, because of trauma as a young person have a me style of relating. So these are people who can be very narcissistic in their style. So narcissism is when really the person can't, they have no ability to see the other person's point of view. They don't have really empathy. They can't see another person's point of view because they're stuck in their own point of view. It's very rigid. Once you've moved through that, children have that style of relating, and then, of course, they move on into adolescence. Now, adolescents have an I style of relating. Now, it's adolescents through 30s, really, kind of get stuck in the I style of relating. 
And an I style of relating is independent. So these are individuals who can take care of themselves. It has a capacity for empathy, but they don't actually utilize empathy. They're very focused on maintaining this kind of rigid, um, flexible style of being in a relationship where they take care of themselves. If they're going to share responsibilities, they have an exchange pattern style of sharing. I'll do this for you, and then you have to do this for me. So everything is equally played out. That's an I style of relating. When you get to an interdependent style of relating, then you have a person who has um, not a competitive style like I and not a narcissistic style like me, but rather a more flexible, collaborative style. They can connect. They have their own goals, and they want to go toward those goals, but they can have flexibility. Perhaps the partner is sick, so they can't follow through on their goals. They're going to take care of the partner for a while. Then the partner's better. Then they can go back to their goals, and they can share and exchange in a very interdependent style. So I kind of think about these three styles by thinking about the me style, which is the more narcissistic or codependent style. When people get into partnership that's more like that, there are two halves that make a whole. There's not an independent style of thinking. They come together and it's a very fear-based situation. There's a lot of fear that they're going to not be cared for. When you have an I style of relationship, it's two individuals walking side by side, but they don't, there's not an interdependence, so it's very solidified, those two individuals. It's very parallel. And um, there, it's inflexible in that they can't actually care for each other. They have to take care of themselves first. They're afraid of being engulfed. When you get into the we style, it's more like three. So each individual has their own sense of self and empowerment, but there's also a couple, and the couple has a goal, or a partnership, and the partnership has a goal. So it's really more than the sum of its parts. And it has this kind of interdependent, flexible, um, easy, collaborative, connecting style of relating. How will integrating mind, body, and spirit enrich our lives? Well, we really are both, we're kind of, we're human beings, right? We're not human doings, we're human beings. And so what we do in the world and how we accomplish those things are very important, but our spiritual function is also important. And as we have a sense of who we are, a connectedness to ourselves, uh, a centeredness, and we're guided by some sense of spirit, then we're able to tolerate how relationships may go in and out of our lives because we're able to relate more fully. So a spirit, mind, and body integration is that we take action and we act in the world and we relate in the world, we do and be in the world in ways that are holistic, including uh, a congruence between what we feel spiritually, what we think mindfully or cognitively, and how we feel physically. They're all incongruence. And so it really does enhance, it makes us more powerful in a very empowered way, and it helps us to have stability and resilience so that if things don't exactly go our way, we don't fall apart. And we also have the perseverance to create what we need to create. Hmm. Can the tools you write about in your book, Turning Me to We, The Art of Partnering with Mindfulness, be used in all of our partnerships? 
Yeah, it's very, very applicable to business relationships, um, love relationships, and also parent relationships. Like if we, our parents are elderly and we're having to resolve old conflicts with them, this book is very helpful. Or if we're trying to parent, it's very helpful because it helps us to understand what our responsibilities are to our child as well as to our partner and ourselves. It's a very useful book to, to really enhance our own relationship with ourselves, which will only make our relationship with others more strong. How can people get your book? And then after, I want to talk a little bit about your seminars and training and things you do in addition to this okay. wonderful book. Oh, that's great. So um, this book is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, so online, Barnes & Noble. And you can get it through my website, which you mentioned earlier, www.bestgeneris.com. And if you go to my website, I believe that I have a code there that listeners to this can go to the website and they can use that code and they can get a, um, a 30% uh, break on the cost of the book. So... Um, you just go to that site on my on my website, use that code, go to the link, and, and you'll be able to get that percentage break. Tell me a little bit more about some of the trainings you do. I- so I do um, trainings here in Albuquerque. I've done some trainings nationally, but right now I'm mostly working up in Albuquerque. And I work with people to help them in communication skills training. Um, I do counselor training to help with ethics and mindfulness. I teach, I teach uh, using mindfulness and the treatment of anxiety. I do parenting with mindfulness trainings. And I also do something that's called Healing the Healer. Now, these various trainings that fall under Healing the Healer are habits to... You, they are classes to teach you some habits that you can incorporate into your life so that you can just be more healthful. Everything about your life, it deals with spirit, mind, and body. Sometimes I teach it as four habits. Sometimes I teach nine habits, just depending on what people are looking for. But this is a very helpful training course. I also work a lot with couples, helping them relate to each other more fluidly and, and more happily, really. Um, Dr. Beth, have you ever thought about doing, um, like, um, online training at all so that you can reach out and reach more people across the country who certainly need what you have to offer? I would love to do that. I have been working at putting together um, some videos that, you know, where we could do teleclasses and videos where people could take some information, download it onto their computer, and also do teleclasses, but I have not fully put together that yet. I think it's a great idea, and I love that you brought it up. Also, you know, you have that, what is that, uh, where people can see you and you talk to them and train them. Um, I have it. I can. I do, I do medical intuitive life coaching. And so oh, in wow. doing that, what so what will happen is because I am a medical intuitive, um, it works very easily online. I don't actually have to see them in my office because I have that capacity for to do remote viewing when I work with them. They can contact me through my website. We set up a time to speak over the phone. I have them Skyping, but it works just fine over the phone. And I'm able to read their, their energy and let them know what they need to be working on. And then I can give them tools from a more psychodynamic perspective as well. 
a very nice kind of match cycle where I can use both the spiritual as well as the psychological to help. Oh, I like that. Well, could you uh, give them your phone number and your website again? Absolutely. So the website is um, www.bethgineris, G-I-N-E-R-I-S, dot com. And you can get me through my phone number, 505-266-9604, which is um, from the website. You'll get to my voicemail. And or you can also use my cell number, which is five zero five three six two zero zero five six to set up a medical intuitive life coaching session. That sounds very very interesting. How did you come up with the title "Turning Me to We: The Art of Parenting with Mindfulness" be used in all of our partnerships? So I used this because it was, of course, so wonderful the way it was reflective, the me to we. So showing that through these developmental processes, we can really get to the other person, right? I see myself, but I also want to see you, and I see you, and we can find the we. So I was really looking to move from this kind of polar, opposite um, concept to more of a unity, and that's why I was really looking, just turning this me to we, moving through these different stages. And I just think mindfulness is so helpful. When you use mindfulness, whether you're applying it to parenting, like in the No to On book, or to partnering in the Me to We book, it can just so strongly enhance your life experience. What are, what are some of the chapters you cover in your book? Oh, this book has got a lot of good stuff in it. The first set of chapters really are to help um, the individual who's reading the book to understand how we get through through these me, I, and we styles that from the dependent through the independent to the interdependent. So um, we talk about paradigm recognition, shifting, and integration, a quick review of sociology and relationship, um, an introduction to the me, I, and we styles. I also talk a little bit about something I call survivor scenarios. And this was something I developed from watching individuals in my practice over the last 20 years where I noticed that people got stuck in these defining descriptions of themselves. And I called them all survivor scenarios, but they were different sort of descriptions. Maybe a person did call him or herself a survivor, or they might be a protector, or they might be a savior. It was a way in which they defined how they were in the world. The problem is it caught them in this victim-type scenario. The survivor had to survive something, some sort of injury or persecution. Same thing with the protector or um, the savior. And so what I, what I recognized was health was going to come from stepping outside of those survivor scenarios and not defining yourself so much as a survivor, protector, savior, or victim, and moving into a thriver concept. So I talk about that in this book, just really very useful information. I talk a little bit about temperament and how important it is to understand your own temperament. And then I actually developed something called MAPS. And MAPS is spelled, it's, it's uh, five letters, M-A-A-P-S. And those five letters stand for the five guiding insecurity drivers or guiding principles. And those are money, achievement, attachment, power, 
and structure. That's how we came up with maps. And in reality, we all have a map of how we do relationships. In fact, we use maps all the time to get from, you know, if I'm going to go to a seminar, I'm going to leave my home and I'm going to look at some map in my mind to get to where that seminar is being held. Well, we do that in relationship. We follow a map that most of us don't know we're doing it. We're doing it automatically. But these maps all fall under one or several of these five different security drivers, money, achievement, attachment, power, and structure. And how they drive your relationship if they're insecurity drivers is that a need to have that driver met, whether it means that you have to hold on to all your money or you have to always be achieving something or your fear of you have to stay attached and your fear of losing someone or abandonment or you have to make sure that nobody has any power over you or you have power over uh, you need to have power over others or an issue around structure how that plays out is your map of relationship it's kind of how you choose i like that person and i don't like that person it's a little bit about chemistry not so much the pheromone part of chemistry but the psychological cognitive part of chemistry and so that i go over that and it's been quite a number of chapters helping people understand first which of the maps they're in and then what they can do to really get out of that insecurity driver mode and into just using those as preference preference for being in relationships. So I'd well, like to have somebody who's a saver. It sounds like it's a book. We're, I can't believe we're almost at the end of the show time, but it's been very exciting to talk to you, and I think this is a book that everybody needs. Again, I've been talking with Dr. Beth, Beth Generis from New Mexico. Her website, you need to look at it. It's www.bethgeneris.com. And give them the name of your book again, Dr. Beth. It's called Turning Me to We, The Art of Partnering with Mindfulness, Shifting Competition and Narcissism, Me to Collaboration and Connection, We. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And um, maybe later when you get your next book out, we can do another show. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you having me. And I would like to invite everybody to join me again next Monday at 4 p.m. where I'll be interviewing the dating godness, goddess who wrote a book, Date or Wait? Are you ready for Mr. Great? Thank you again for tuning in to Diva Strategies for Success. And remember, we care about your success. And so tune in and learn from some of the great speakers and guests that I bring on. Thank you and good night. Bye-bye.